Hello, and welcome to this Speed Listen installment of the Six Gun Justice podcast, featuring everything you need to know about one of the West's wildest women, all in under 30 minutes, give or take. I'm Paul Bishop. My compadre Richard Prosh and I co-host the full-length episodes of the Six Gun Justice podcast, but ride solo for these Speed Listen bonus installments. However, I'm joined today by a wild woman of the West herself, author and president of the Western Writers of America, Chris Entz. Hi, Chris. How are you, my friend? Paul, I am so happy to be a part of the broadcast with you and talking about what these amazing women of the Old West did. Fantastic. Before we get to our main feature, tell me about your latest projects and what you have coming soon. Thank you very much. I'm always working on something fun. I just finished putting the final touches on a book called The Widowed Ones Beyond the Battle of the Little Big Horn. And that's the story of Elizabeth Custer and six of the other officers' wives who were left widows after the Battle of the Little Big Horn and their friendship that extended until 1933 when Elizabeth Custer passed away. It's just this amazing story of friendship and the bond that they had over this tragic event. And then I've been working on a book called Straight Lady, the story of Margaret Dumont, the Marx Brothers, and the making of the day at the races. A wonderful actress, Margaret Dumont, doesn't get the credit that she so richly deserves for being the straight lady that she was. Those are the two things I've been working on here in the last couple of weeks. That's great. Your knowledge of these subjects and these women is what made me ask you to join me to talk about the legendary women of the Wild West. I love being able to talk about those little known areas of these ladies that very few people have any knowledge of. We're going to be talking about Annie Oakley today, which is a favorite subject of mine and an amazing woman. She made her way in the West on sheer guts and skills that were the equal to any man. With all the books and articles you've written about women in the West, do you have an opinion about why certain women became famous or notorious for their exploits out West? The West was such an amazing area for women to be able to make their mark and the frontier was new. There weren't a whole lot of the way things were is the way that it has to be because you were creating your own way out West. But those women who really went above and beyond what anyone thought that anyone could be capable of, those are the ones that rose. You got Calamity Jane. She certainly rose to the top of the heat because she was the best PR woman. Only Madonna was really could, could rake in terms <laughs> of being able to promote yourself like Calamity Jane did. She was wild. She drank as well as any man. I don't think you can say that about a lot of women at that time. Just amazing women that made their mark. And Annie Oakley was certainly one of those. But it seems to me they also faced some different challenges to their male counterparts. Life was hard enough on men in the West, but for women, it was even harder. I've thought about that particular area because it's brought up a lot whenever I talk about women of the West. And you're absolutely right. If you wanted to be a women physician, it was very difficult for them to get a job because men thought it was unseemly and unfeminine for women to choose that as a career. On the other hand, you had women who it didn't make any difference what people said, regardless of they can't do that. They were going to go forward and try it anyway. Luzina Stanley Wilson was this incredible businesswoman in the gold country, and her husband goes off to look for gold. She stays behind to take care of the kids, and she opens up her own little restaurant and starts selling biscuits for $5 a biscuit. By the time he gets back, he's found no gold, and she's incredibly wealthy. It was women like that who just said, it doesn't make any difference. I'm going to do this. No one told her that she couldn't go into business on her own. And those women were incredibly brave to take a step forward and be able to say, I'm going to try this. There weren't a whole lot of men around to say, you can't do it. 
And that was what the West was all about, opportunity. And some of the women in the West had a skill set that was a match for any man. Case in point being Annie Oakley, whose sharpshooting skills were truly legendary. The fifth of seven surviving children, Annie was born Phoebe Ann Moses in 1860 to impoverished Quaker parents in rural Ohio. This is really part of what makes her who she is later on, and we'll talk about that. But it was obvious early on that she had the instincts to be a dead shot. While her sisters played with dolls, Annie followed her father as he hunted and trapped in the woods, and he taught her the rudiments of marksmanship. And then at eight years old, she made what she would always refer to as one of the best shots she ever made. Using her father's old muzzle-loading rifle, which she rested on a porch rail, she picked off a squirrel sitting on a fence in her front yard with a headshot, allowing its meat to be preserved. And I have to tell you, I could use her help right now because I got a squirrel that's eating up my wife's vegetable garden. Oh, they could be quite the pest. She just was an incredible shot. And thank goodness she was able to be the shot that she wasn't have that particular talent because she had to use that to be able to make money for her family. She really had a good eye and her father was great to be able to teach her what she needed to know when using his gun, even after he died when she was very young. Not only was she supplementing the family's income, being a sure shot and shooting the meat and selling it to a local butcher, but she was also an amazing seamstress. And that was something a lot of people don't know about Annie Oakley. She made clothing for seniors and for children in addition to shooting squirrels and other game in the area. The interesting thing about her seamstress skills is she was very aware that when she and her husband were on the vaudeville circuit, that vaudeville women were looked at in a certain manner. They were looked at as loose women, to say the least. With her Quaker background, there's no way she wanted to be identified with that. So she makes all of her own costumes designed to cover up her entire body. But this doesn't take away from her femininity. In fact, it makes it even more intriguing and she becomes more popular for going in that direction than if she did just fit in with everybody else. And you're absolutely correct. It was a modesty situation at the very beginning. And the clothes that she made were incredible. If you go to the Buffalo Bill Cody Museum, there's a couple of mannequins that are in the displays with some of Annie's clothes on. I mean, she just was incredible being able to do the fringe work that she did. And at first, it did have that particular purpose of being able to cover yourself up, as you say. But later on in life, she continued to make her own clothes. And she made all her outfits she wore on vaudeville and in the Buffalo Bill Cody show. Later on, she was involved in a very bad train accident in 1901 that left her with severe back pain, and she'd had many surgeries, and she wore a brace on her leg. So she always made sure that her legs never showed and always designed and made wonderful costumes and garments that would hide that particular disability. She first comes to public notice, for lack of a better term, when she's 15 years old, and she gets matched against Frank Butler, who's touring the country and makes a living challenging the local marksman. And he sees Annie present herself as his next challenge, and he laughs at her. And he just steps up and very calmly shoots 24 out of 25 targets. And then she steps up and hits 25 out of 25. What I found so interesting about that is most men of that day would have gotten on their high horse and said she cheated because they couldn't believe they lost to a woman. What does Frank Butler do? He is so smitten by her, he falls in love with her and marries her. That's absolutely amazing, too. Butler is about 15, 17 years older than Annie. 
And because he is so taken with Annie, there's always the controversy as to whether or not she actually did shoot all 25 of those targets or whether he missed on purpose because he wanted to get in her good graces. Certainly, he was taken with her, as you say. He knew that she had Quaker backgrounds, and being able to fit in with that background and be able to get in with her mother and her stepfather at that particular time, to get them to give the blessing for the two of them to get married, he started right then, giving in to her. And what an amazing pair. They get married in 1876, and they're married for almost 52 years. And their marriage and romance is probably one of the most romantic I think I've ever been able to research. It's just a compelling story. And when they pass away, it's within 13 days of each other. Yes, he's so brokenhearted because she is visiting her niece and been out of the house for a few days visiting her niece. And she passes away from pneumonia and he stops eating and he dies not too terribly long after Annie. He recognized right off she was a ball of fire. He was in a shooting circus and his partner was sick. And Annie had been watching the shows and she knew pretty much what went on in the shows. And when his partner was sick, he called Annie up and Annie took his partner's place on stage. And he quickly realized the audience doesn't really want to see him anymore. They want to see Annie. And so he took a step back and had Annie sign on with the show and put her front and center. But that was really interesting because he took a step back. Frank Butler's a really smart guy. He loves this woman, and he is more than happy to take this back seat to her celebrity. That's more commonplace than we think, because I'm just thinking of half a dozen men in that particular time period who were very willing to step back and let their wives or the people that they are in love with. I'm thinking about Bill Hickok with Agnes Lake Hickok, who was that amazing equestrian who ran her own circus. And Hickok acquiesced an awful lot and stepped back and let her take the lead on things. I think about Cody with Louisa. Yeah, they didn't have such a great relationship, but he really was someone who let his wife take charge in some areas. And so I think that when you're absolutely so dedicated and terribly in love as Frank was with Annie, they don't get married right away. He tells her she's got to finish school. And they write quite a bit back and forth to one another. And he always sends her these amazing poems. Just him wanting her to finish school is really honorable of him, too. As you say, he gets her to join the show. They're hitting the vaudeville circuit, which is pretty seedy all around. And they really would like to get on with Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. But here's the problem. Buffalo Bill already has Captain Adam Bogardus as his sharpshooting attraction. And he tells him, no, there's no room for them in the show. But then fate intervenes. In 1884, there's a steamboat going down the Mississippi, carrying all of the troop from Buffalo Bill's Wild West show, and the steamboat sinks. Everybody gets off, but Bogardus's guns are at the bottom of the Mississippi along with the steamboat. He gets more guns, but he doesn't find that they work the way he wants them to. He's also having some problems with vertigo. He eventually throws up his arms and drops out of the show. And Buffalo Bill gets on the telegraph, calls Annie Oakley and Frank Butler to come join the show. That's when they got their first big break. Buffalo Bill very quickly realized what he had. Let me just touch on the Bogardus thing. How sad. The guy had a terrible inner ear infection that plagued him for the rest of his life. He eventually dies from complications for that infection. But what is his bad luck turns out to be the best of all things for Oakley and Butler. 
With Annie Oakley there, Buffalo Bill realizes people are coming to see her. So he quickly moves her up the show chart and makes her the star. And that really is where she began to shine. She could do some things that no one else did. Not only was she this incredible shot, but she was an amazing trick writer, too. Frank was right there beside her. He choreographed all of her trick writing stunts that she did and performed. Again, the two of them made such an excellent team. I don't think either one of them would have been the people that they were without the other. That support really saw them thrive. And a few years after joining Buffalo Bill's Wild West show, they go to England with Buffalo Bill for Queen Victoria's Golden Jubilee celebration. At that time, Wimbledon, which of course now is known for tennis, was used for shooting exhibitions. That was the big draw. Annie Oakley goes there and does her thing. She does. As a matter of fact, there's political figures there that are going to lead to the start of World War I, which she looked back later on because there was this incredible trick she did where she could shoot off the tip of the cigarette. And one of the political figures who was responsible for the the start of World War I, he wanted to have Annie shoot the tip of the cigarette out of his mouth. Later on, she would say, I wish now I would have missed the cigarette altogether and hit him in the head. (laughs) (laughs) She had another rival at that time, Lillian Smith, who gets very disgruntled when Annie beats her in the shooting competition there. She does. There can only be one alpha female. It was Annie's show for quite a while, and Lillian Smith comes in, and now you have this rivalry that is not going to set very well with Annie. It's not going to set very well with Frank either. You come to a point where somebody's got to go. This Buffalo Bill Cody ring ain't big enough for the both of us, my friend. That is, again, where she asserted herself, by being the better markswoman. She does, absolutely. She is kind to Lillian Smith. At this point, Annie has been around. She knows how to address royalty. Lillian Smith didn't have a clue. And Annie took her under her wing and said, here's how you curtsy. Here are the things that you need to know. Here's how you respond in politeness. But she was not going to let Lillian get the upper hand all the way around. So she ups her game and comes up with a variety of new tricks, shooting holes and playing cards from very far away, Frank holding the card. This is the other testimony of true love. The poor man always held the cards, always held the glass balls Annie would shoot. He was always the person that did that on the other end. He was so confident in her ability. But she doesn't just impress the crowd. This is a woman who impresses Sitting Bull, which is fascinating to me. Here you are eight years after he defeats Custer at Little Bighorn. Buffalo Bill is trying to get Sitting Bull to join his show, which he eventually does for a short period of time. But when he goes to the show and he sees Annie Oakley performance, he's so enamored that he sends $65 to her hotel and asks for an autograph photograph. Annie sends his money back, sends him a photograph and says, I'll come see you tomorrow. And this begins a friendship that lasts for the rest of his life. Yeah. How unique was that? An extraordinary time in history. I would have loved to have known what Annie would talk with Sitting Bull about. He was just taken with her because she was waist high. She was not a tall lady. She was a very petite thing. For her to be able to have the skill that she did, he'd seen nothing like this. And she was very humble. The combination of both of those things struck him as very alluring, more in terms of a big brother kind of way. He wants to adopt Annie Oakley, and he gives her an Indian name, which translates to Little Sure Shot. 
which stays with her the rest of her life. Isn't that amazing? That's a really good nickname you want to hold on to, knowing it came from this historic Indian chief. And that nickname was adopted too by Cody. Cody always called her Missy or Little Sure Shot. And before you know it, you had these amazing posters Cody put up everywhere to reinvigorate the attractions for the show, announcing Little Sure Shot on the ticket. You talked about her taking Lillian under her wing. She did this with a lot of women. She taught a lot of women how to shoot. So many, in fact, she writes a letter to President William McKinley. The United States in a position where they're about to go to war with Spain. And Oakley says, hey, I've got a company of women sharpshooters that I will put at your disposal. Talk about bold. She knew she was really good at what she did. And she had this amazing shooting school in Pinehurst, North Carolina. There were women that were coming out everywhere wanting to learn how to shoot. And Annie was a real big proponent about this is something that women needed to do. You get fresh air. You you are outdoors. You're able to see the countryside. It's good for you to be able to do this. And isn't that interesting how she finds these amazing sharpshooters within her own school and outside of her school as well? But what's so amazing about this is you've got the suffrage movement going on about the same time. And Annie is completely against women having the right to vote because she'd come across so many women that she would encourage to come out and shoot. And they would always respond, I have to ask my husband first. And she thought any woman that has to ask her husband if she can go out shooting first shouldn't be allowed to vote. That was a very interesting position because she was a strong proponent for equal pay for equal work. Yet with suffrage, she went in a different direction than you would expect. She makes the statement, I guess it would be okay if only the right women got to vote. But you know, that's not what she meant. She meant, as I said before, women that have to ask their husband's permission to do things. That's what she was referring to. The right women to vote would be those women who were independent and could stand on their own and make a decision of their own and sign a voting form that would reflect her own opinion and not that of her husband, her brother, her father. That's what she meant. It's unfortunate that it would have been twisted in today's nomenclature. The fact she says this, Paul, that just is testimony again to she did her own thing flying in the face of women's suffrage movement. And that was a really popular movement at that particular time with women everywhere. And they all said we should have the right to vote. But Annie took the opposing view on that. And I think at that particular time, if you had to look at it for good reason. When you're talking about standing up, she stood up to President McKinley by saying, you've turned me down, but I'm telling you, these are going to be all American women. They're going to have their own guns, their own ammunition. It's not going to cost the American government a thing. And he still says no. And she again makes the same offer of a women's sharpshooting unit at World War I. And again, it gets turned down. You're right. They did not allow her to do that, but it was not for nothing. What they did allow her and those other women to do was go to different army posts and teach the men how to shoot. So I think that's very impressive. She is such a strong person. She even took on William Randolph Hearst when his papers publish that she has been arrested destitute in Chicago. And they make a pig play out of this and all the rest of the papers in the country pick it up and reprint it. And Annie was nowhere near the area. She is so upset about her reputation at this point that she is going to take on the big boys and what would be almost a decade effort. 
Yeah. How unfortunate that Hearst would allow that particular story to generate over and over again. But Hearst was after sales of his newspapers. If that's the kind of headline that did it, he was happy just to go along with it. It turns out to be a burlesque dancer who was arrested posing as Annie Oakley. You're being kind to call her a burlesque dancer. <laughs> she was a full-on soiled dove walking the streets of Chicago. She was also a drug addict who had stolen a guy's pants to sell them to buy drugs. I don't know how much money you get for a pair of pants or what kind of drugs you can get from the sale of a pair of pants, but that's what was going on. And she was just drunk out of her mind when they haul her into court. And her name was Innie Oakley, A-N-Y Oakley. That was her street name. When they arrest her, the officers are saying, hey, Annie Oakley, why don't you tell us a little bit about Buffalo Bill Cody? And then this drunken prostitute starts to pretend like she is Annie Oakley. And that's the story that gets picked up. That's the story that Hearst's newspaper reporter writes and says America's sweetheart has been arrested for stealing pants and buying drugs. And that's when this whole thing starts. Here she is in August of 1903 at her home in New York with her husband. And they read this headline. She immediately sends a note to Hearst that says, this is not me. Retract. Again, I say retract. And Hearst is having nothing of it because he owns 55 newspapers across the United States. And that headline is selling newspapers. And that, as I said, was what he was all about. When he wouldn't, she felt as though the only option that she had was to file a lawsuit against him. It's important to note Annie had spent her whole life trying to get people to understand that she was not this illiterate creature that was pulled out of the sticks of Ohio. She was someone who was well-read. She was a seamstress. She was a dead eye. She was somebody that could read and write. And she was a lady. She always wore gloves, always made sure that her look was very pristine. So to have this allegation attributed to her, she was outraged by it and wanted him to retract. She spent a whole lifetime building up a reputation, and he took it away in a moment, and he absolutely would not take it back. I love the fact she takes him to court, and it's a six-year battle. She wins 54 of the 55 cases, wins as much as $1,000 and as little as 10 cents, but it's not the money, it's the idea it's the fact that you can't slander somebody like that. You have to answer to those things that you say. At that particular time, taking on this newspaper giant as she did and winning, it cost her more to go to court than it did anything else. But like I said, it was the principle. After her death, Hollywood would turn her into something else. The whole Doris Day version of Annie Oakley, I think, is ridiculous and we'll move away from that. But what I do appreciate is, even though it wasn't Annie Oakley, Gail Davis, who played Annie Oakley in the TV series, represented the same kind of woman Annie Oakley was. Gail Davis was Annie Oakley for the rest of her life, going to hospitals as Annie Oakley, visiting the kids there, making them feel special. So this whole legend continues to benefit others. And how magnanimous was it of Davis to be able to recognize that? From Annie's relatives, Gail Davis was very much aware of how much Annie disliked the whole idea that she was illiterate. You have a Broadway play produced, Annie Get Your Gun, and they make her seem as though she's this idiot from the sticks that people had to try and communicate with a series of clicks and whistles. And it was nothing like that. And Gail Davis is very much aware of that when she takes on the role of Annie Oakley and holds it in great regard. And as you say, she does spend time in hospitals. 
and burn units where children have these kinds of burns. She does take that on herself and tries to turn that whole notion of Annie Oakley around, and she really embodies it. She also was a little Annie Oakley because she could ride and shoot and act all at the same time, which was very special in those days. Very much so. She does an appearance in an Andy Griffith episode where she shows off her skills. Great actress, great human being. As a matter of fact, I have an Annie Oakley lunchboxes, but no Gail Davis Annie Oakley lunchbox. And boy, do I want that one. In 1955, Annie Oakley licensed merchandise topped $10 million in sales. Lunchboxes, BB rifles, costumes, gun and holster sets, board games, anything that could have Annie Oakley's name on it flew off the shelves before it could be restocked. Isn't that something? She became a cottage industry in and of herself. She would be so amazed today to know how her memory has gone on and what she represents and how coveted merchandise with Annie Oakley's face on it still is. Recently, Carrie Bovey has done a three-book mystery series with Annie Oakley as an amateur sleuth, starting with Girl with a Gun, which won the 2019 Hillerman Southwest Award for Fiction. So Annie Oakley is still in the public consciousness today and still popular. Yeah, I think she always will be because of what she represents. She represents a woman of great means in terms of I have the bravery to go forward and to try this and be able to let people know the skill that I have. What she represents is always going to be something young girls and women aspire to be. Chris, this has been a blast. I hope we can do another episode sometime soon. I do too. I have a good time with these. It's so much fun to be able to, to talk about these amazing women from the history of the American frontier. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Paul. Thanks for listening to this bonus speed listen installment of the Six Gun Justice podcast. Remember to check out our website at sixgunjustice.com for regularly updated reviews, articles, and interviews from the best of the Western wordslingers. Prior Six-Gun Justice podcast episodes, Six-Gun Justice speed listen installments, and Six-Gun Justice conversations are available on all major podcast streaming platforms. Till next time, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, aim straight, and keep your eye on the target. Adios. We're out of here. Let's ride. <laughs>